welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio, the podcast where marketing leaders inside and outside the sciences share their creative ideas and practical approaches to increasing your marketing ROI. Here's your host, Chris Connor. Howdy, folks. This will be an interesting episode, regardless of what kind of company you're in, but particularly for small biotech companies and founders. We're going to talk about the transition from a service-based business to a product-based business. As such, we'll get a little peek at some of the components we don't usually think about but are absolutely important to the overall customer experience. I hope you enjoy this conversation with Nathan Wood. Nathan Wood is the CEO of Chromatid, and today we're going to talk about making the switch from being a service-based business to a product-based business. Nathan, welcome to Life Science Marketing Radio. Very nice to be here, Chris. So first of all, just for context, um, tell us the business you're in. For um, Explain the information scientists get um, when they engage your services or your products. What are, what are they looking for? Yeah, so Chromatid is a uh, company that specializes in looking at changes to your chromosome. Um, And this is not necessarily just the sequence, but it's the structure of that chromosome. Um, And then also we engage in bringing payload into that chromosome in ways to modify that that chromosome in personal medicine. And so companies uh, engage us as they're developing cell lines that can be used in personal medicine. Um, to cure some of those diseases that the big pharmaceutical companies don't go after. And so we tend to uh, service um, companies that are using CRISPR-based therapies, um, and they want to check to make sure that CRISPR-based therapy before it goes into a clinic does not cause a structural variation. And as a scientist, we would know that a structural variation is usually an early sign of cancer. And so it's obvious why the companies want to check for that before they go to get FDA approval. Right. So a lot of uh, genomic analysis, as you say, structural variation. And previously, I guess it would be fair to say, Chromatid was based on a service model. Correct. Um, What's the advantage, and you are in the process of transitioning over to more product-based. What's the advantage of being product-based as opposed to service-based? Product-based allows you to uh, serve many different uh, customer types and also customer applications, where with services you may have at a, and it's at a more economical price because the customer is using their infrastructure as well as their labor to do the work and not hiring us and our infrastructure and our labor to do that work. And so what does that mean as far as uh, consumption dynamics and customer targets? is a customer that we're presently using may be using us just for that one special thing um, to before they submit it to the FDA. But if you have a product, because the service costs more because they're paying for our infrastructure and for our labor, if they want to use their infrastructure and their labor that they already have on their staff and already invested in, they may then use the, the product that is much like our service they may use that for more um, everyday usage and not just that one thing they need to do to make sure, but they can use it earlier on in their experimentation to make sure when they get down to that level, it's already been verified. And so we've heard this from our customers that are testing our new products, that they 
Now we'll use it every day compared to, you know, once every couple of months. So it's more of a, yeah, early on you've moved upstream essentially in the workflow. Yes. And talk a little bit about what that means for the valuation of a business for people who are yes. kind of following your path. Yes. So uh, when you have a um, product and service business, not just a service business, you get a um, better enterprise value for your organization. And it's fairly simple to say, why is that? Obviously, if you're selling products to people and they're using them in your, in your, uh, in their labs, you don't have to build up the same amount of infrastructure. And so you can do more with less labor and less infrastructure. And to have it, to have a nice, nice mix where people come in first as a service, um, to try it out and then move to a product, um, does create that nice circular mechanism to to increase your enterprise value. Also, if you think about an exit for an organization like Chromatid or others, it's much easier for a large strategic company in the marketplace to purchase a company that has grown to over $10 million or higher and has a mixture of services and products because the products can become just a product line for them, if you will. And they don't have to go build that out. And then they can decide how they want to grow the service business. Ah, good. Makes sense. So when we had our previous little conversation, you told me that it's actually easier to grow a service business. Why is that? Uh, you don't have to do as much of the development aspects. You can launch something that's not quite refined because your scientists are going to run it and, uh, and they can make mistakes and redo it. Whereas if you have a product and somebody tries and it doesn't work uh, the first time or the second time, you rarely get a third time uh, with them. So you have to do a lot more verification and validation of your product. And it could be simple things like shipping a product to somebody, having the right shelf life um, for that product, having the right um, user manual for that product that calls it all out. And so in a service business, obviously the people that you hire are trained to use it so that the professionalism of all the documents is much less. And then you don't have to worry about, um, whether you're shipping it on dry ice or, or wet ice. Um, and so that happens. And then why it's easier to grow the service business is also, there's a fair amount of work that's being done in our clientele, which is pretty much biopharmaceutical accounts. So industrial accounts where they want to outsource that work. Um, and not have to have the infrastructure to do that. And so by serving that clientele, um, you can grow a service business much easier because one, you don't have to have all the documentation. And then two, um, it just feeds into a nice um, outsourcing model that the biopharmaceuticals use. But the challenge, if I go back to that on that, Chris, because I look at it in both ways, is what you're not hearing me say is how, how well we're selling into academia. What do we know about academia? We know that there's a lot of people that work in academia um, to get their PhDs, their masters, and also their postdocs. And so that labor can be used in academia to uh, use products where they don't like to sign up for more expensive services like the biopharmaceutical companies do. Yeah, lot, there's a lot in there. And the thing that stands out to me, I mean, uh, one, you have to make sure your product's going to work, essentially yep. transfer all the knowledge that's in the heads of your own employees, your service employees, accurately on paper or 
on a screen so the people are going to use that thing yeah. to make sure it's going to work um and yet if you get that down then it does seem like a way to expand your revenue and as you mentioned the whole pipeline um so you came in primarily a service business now you're switching over to products that's a sort of a different thing made lots of different resources and talent required for that talk yeah. about some of those challenges yeah so uh um in a service business there was nothing set up to ship products we we were since uh, essentially just sending a report by email to people and so the whole infrastructure of how to put it in a box put a label on it um to have it, the tube the correct tubes and package that um in a way that's you know uh market uh, standard so that people would see the value of it you have to go through that process when you start peeling that back and looking at it all it's quite a bit of work it's sops for kidding uh, the different products it's um raw materials um, that have to have certain shelf lives that you have to then advertise and it's also writing um detailed um uh, user manuals that uh, allow the people to know the steps that they're supposed to do instead of the service business and doing that on top of that it's a completely different marketing um, message that you send to customers. So you have to retool your marketing. You, you need to put a cart on the website so that people can buy online. Uh, cause with service businesses, the POs are higher. They tend to do it by email. Um, and so you have to build out that infrastructure to do that. It's a different clientele. It's a different customer type when you have products. So this, um, by productizing it, it allows us to go into academia. So we have to now go and talk to different people that we weren't talking to before that might not know us. So the marketing has to create a brand in that mar in that customer type and create the demand in that customer type. Also, if you just think about it, getting it shipped to customers, we weren't shipping anything. So we have to notify people. We have to set up a FedEx account to basically get it there. I mean, it's just these little details that you don't think about that you have to go through. It's amazing to me the progress that the team has made in just this short time since we've been, in the last year we've been productizing, we now have over 20% of our revenue that's products um, paired to the services. And so it's growing nicely. And uh, it's also when you look at, we just hired a quality assurance uh, director. And so this is also putting the necessary quality systems in so that the clientele knows you're making the product in a way that they can use it for what they want. And so right now we're putting quality specs in like 13485 so that people would know that uh, we have the necessary systems to uh, improve when we make errors and track those things. Yeah, that's sort of what leads to my next question. Can you talk a little bit about early on as you're beginning to ship product how did you test out that whole process like you must have had picked out some ideal customers to say hey would you try this for us that you already yeah. had a relationship with yeah exactly so we had some fans chromated fans that we asked if we could do uh shipping tests with them uh to make sure that uh, when we shipped it to them and they shipped it back to us that it worked and we actually found out uh, through that process that we had some improvements we had to make after doing that. Um, just little things like um, the um, fluids getting, because of bouncing around, getting sprayed around the tube and somebody has to spin the tube before they start. 
and adding that to, uh, you know, to the manual kind of thing. So there's, there's little things, but yeah, we did that. Um, we first did it just with mock kits to make sure that, uh, the boxes would be stable and they wouldn't get crushed and, you know, they would work. And then we actually did real products after that to those fans as well to make sure that they were functional when they got theirs. And, uh, we saw from some of that work, um, actually where we were shipping products on dry ice, we went into new stability studies and found that we could ship it on, you know, just normal ice, blue ice, if you will. And so through that process, we've also been able to look how we are a little bit more friendly to, uh, the environment by not having to, to use dry ice all the time. Yeah. So much, uh, this is interesting. I, I find because it's a lot of the nitty gritty behind a biotech company that you, you know, we all, we're always saying about the reagents and the molecules, but tubes yeah. and boxes are important as well. Right. It's amazing how much it goes, you know, with just a label, you would be surprised whether it's a clear label or, a, or, a um, white backed label or dark backed label and how well that can be produced and, and how sticky it is. And it's just a, you know, does your printer work for it? I mean, there's these little intricacies that we don't ever think about that aren't actually the scientific aspect of the product, but are part of the product product because they're in the packaging. Right. It all goes to the user experience. So talk a little bit more. You mentioned about moving upstream, um, describe how your products are used to do that. Just a little more detail about what that means for expanding your business. Yeah. Let me set the stage so you have the um, kind of context of this, Chris, um, is that if somebody uses a kit from us right now, average price is about, um, say, $700 a test. The kit might cost $3,000, but there'll be, uh, you know, uh, five to 10 tests in there for people to use. If they did that with our service, it might be as high as sixty to $70,000. And so there's a, a fairly different, you know, large continuum on 60,000 a test paired to bot 300 to $500 a test, even up to $700 in some cases um, for the products. And so, um, what that means to a customer, and I think that's where your question is, is going, is that they have, when they start their experiments and they start editing cells. They have millions of cells they want to look at, okay? And they might, through various other means, get that down to thousands or hundreds of thousands of cells. Well, when they come to our service, they've already whittled it down to like four to 10 cells. They're not using it as a screening method for the hundreds of thousands of cells. But most of the biopharmaceutical accounts have the necessary microscopes in their facility to do this and have um, departments that work on this. And by moving that into their facility at that lower price comparison, by using a product, they then can screen those hundreds of thousands of cells for an economical way. And they can use that as a screening method, which is one of their final methods, you know, in the past to get those cells that are the right cells to move through the process. So I see it as a way that our customers can be more efficient, where they don't have to spend all the money um, to do other screening methods. They can use the one that one of the ones they wanted to use right at the end as a screening method. Now, if you look at it, um, if a kit costs, 
$3,000 for, you know, say 10 assays, um, you know, you can do the math there and see that that's fairly economical each time they use it. Another method they can use early on is to uh, do a sequencing analysis, right? So run a sequencing reaction. It'll tell you if the DNA sequence is right. It won't tell you if the structural variation is right, but possibly the sequence will give you an indication of the structural variation. And so they can use that as a method. But um, prior to us kidding it, we weren't as cost competitive. Now, if you turn on a NovaSeq and use it, it could be, you know, thousands of dollars each time. Um, and here they can get the same results for three, 400 bucks each time. Yeah. Okay. So talk a little bit, if you will, about the impact this is making on your revenue. Uh, like I said, it's, uh, it's now, you know, uh, um, grown to a double digit look, you know, mid double digits of our revenue. Um, and so it's, uh, nice to see that that's happening. You also see a repurchase happening, um, with the reagents and the kit and the products. And so that first sale may take a lot of effort, but once they're happy, they just repurchase. And so what your start was, we were, had a lumpy business with our service business, mm -hmm. right? Where a big order would come in for services of over a hundred thousand, it would, you know, cause the revenue to go way up. And then the next month it wouldn't happen. So what it's starting to do is also give us a nice smooth revenue growth from those repurchases that are happening as we get into it. And it's also inc increasing the number of customers that we have much faster um, because we hadn't gone into where a lot of those molecular biologists and genomics and cytogenetics people live in academia. And we're starting to get that uh, happening. And it's also allowed us to go to Europe and to other regions in the world uh, because we've set up distributors that are much more um, amenable to a product-based business than a service-based business for distribution. All right, so this this whole podcast, I mean, this episode and all my episodes is like an MBA for me. So um, when you talk about smoothing out the revenue, I'm imagining what that helps besides uh, which you didn't say explicitly, but increasing lifetime customer value, right? Yes. Because people are coming back and back, but you smooth yep. out the revenue, which makes it easier to predict and think about where you can invest with the money that's coming in, right? Exactly. Yeah. And, and it's a, so that's you know, a bit of a flywheel. And managing your P&L, it makes it easier, right? Because you, uh, you tend to, uh, on a service-based business, may not get paid until you finish a service for some of it. And it may take you a couple months to finish the service. And so you might be waiting, you know, all those months while you're doing it, plus another 30 to 60 days afterwards to get all your money. And we invoice on our product-based business when we ship it to a customer. All right. So is there a next step, service to product to something else? Um, you know, you also have to look at within those two, not to something else, but just within those areas, how you then diversify. And, um, what I find nice to say here and for people is that, um, a, when you do the service-based business, it's much like almost using an R&D function to start, um, the feelers out for a new product that you might offer. And when the service is successful with individuals. You can understand how they're using it and why they're using it 
and then position the product better when you bring it to market based on the success of that service. And so that's the kind of secret sauce that we have is that we've been able to look at our service-based business and then decide what products we want to put into that. And so I don't think it's what's next. It's just how we diversify within those areas um, and, uh, you know, be more strategic about what we do because of the knowledge that we're gaining. Right. So okay. you're, as you say, your service-based people are your R&D <clears throat> with seemingly a much more intimate interaction with customers. You're actually working together and figuring out what the next product yeah. is. Yeah. And then also when I look, you know, I'm adding some different services. We recently um, started a plasmid manufacturing service for people. So this is a service that has a turnaround time of four to, to five days for the research use products. And so you also look at how you bring out services that have a shorter turnaround time so that you can leverage your infrastructure and, and create more enterprise value by getting the cash back into the business sooner so that you can use it for your growth. And so we're doing that um, as well. And then most of the work that we're doing right now is just um, taking this 10 different services that we have um, with variations within that 10 and putting those into different kits for people to use in the marketplace. Nathan Wood, this has been fantastic. I have learned a ton about business. I'm sure everybody listening will do the same. Thank you so much for taking it's the been, time with me. It's been great, Chris. Thank you for the time and thank you for listening and the questions. Appreciate it. My pleasure. Take care. There is your LSMR MBA right there. I hope you learned as much as I did. Hey, have you noticed there are no advertisements on Life Science Marketing Radio? At least not yet. If you're wondering how I get paid, it's by telling stories for brands for use on their own web and social channels. That content might sound similar, but it's for a different audience, your customers and stakeholders. If that sounds like a good idea, promise you it probably is. We can have a short chat about it. There's a link to my calendar in the show notes. Until next time, please share this with your colleagues because there are more fascinating guests on the horizon. Bye-bye.